take your Bible, please, and meet me in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Today marks the beginning, uh, as Andre said, it marks the beginning of a new summer series uh, in which we'll explore what the Bible says about certain topics of interest. Uh, We've planned this series with one of our sister churches, uh, Spring Valley Church in Rockland. I spoke with Pastor Bill this morning, and uh, we we are just delighted to be able to serve in tandem in this way. And I want you to know, and he wants you to know, that that the church there at Spring Valley is praying for you this morning, uh, even as we are praying for them. A few months ago, you may recall... Uh, We surveyed both congregations, ours and theirs, asking for input uh, uh, on which subjects to explore. Dozens of topics were suggested, which we compiled into one master list. And over the next 10 weeks, we're, we're going to consider the top 10 responses. One subject per week ranging from witnessing to one's eternal destiny, from sex to homosexuality, from family and parenting to uh, women in ministry leadership. But the number one topic, uh, one number one response from each of the two surveys focused, the number one by a wide margin is the focus of this morning's message. Mental health. And I just have to say, church, I am so thankful to God that the evangelical church is finally getting to the point where we can openly discuss mental health. Because mental health is vitally important to our overall health, including our life with God in Christ. And clearly people are curious about the biblical view on this topic. You need to know right from the start how completely inadequate I feel to speak on this subject. Uh, Much of what I want to share this morning is based on the research of others. I'm simply leaning on their wisdom and experience in this area. Some of what I will will share is based on my own experience, my own experience as a pastor, and my own experience personally as it uh, relates to to this topic. If I had to summarize today's message in just a few words, it would go something like this. The battle for mental health is very real. But there is hope in God and in his many means of grace. The battle for mental health is very real, but there is hope in God and in his many means of grace. We're going to look at a few different passages this morning rather than camping on just one, but I'd like to open with a reading from Philippians 4 because I believe this passage addresses the real struggle for mental health in an honest way, in a way that doesn't dismiss the issue, but rather invites God into the conversation. And that's what we need. We, we need God in this conversation. So will you read this with me, or follow along as I read, Philippians chapter 4, uh, 
uh, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Be not anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Will you pray with me, Father? I want to thank you for our time this morning uh, uh, together as a church. Thank you for the wonderful opportunity we've had to sing praise and to be ministered to through the songs and through one another uh, with our singing voices. Thank you for this, uh, these moments we now share in your word. And as we consider this subject of mental health, which can be a very sensitive subject for many, I pray that you would give us grace and and understanding and help and and that you would enable us by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to learn, to glean, to, to be more empathetic toward those who wrestle in this area and to understand even our own struggles. So would you, O Holy Spirit, would you come and make your presence known in our midst and minister to every heart and mind and life today? In the name of Jesus, amen. The National Institute of Mental Health suggests two broad categories to describe mental illness. They are any mental illness, or AMI, and serious mental illness, or SMI. Any mental illness is defined as a mental, behavioral, or emotional disorder. AMI can can vary in impact ranging from no impairment to mild, moderate, or even severe impairment. Serious mental illness, or SMI, is defined as a mental, behavioral, or emotional disorder resulting in serious functional impairment which substantially interferes with or limits one or more major life activities. In the United States, approximately one in five adults live with a mental illness, while about one in 25 experience serious mental illness. So statistically speaking, even in a room of 100 or so people, 
there are those for whom this applies. Today I want to present three biblical principles that relate to the issue, followed by three brief but specific ways to help. Number one, mental illness, like other forms of sickness and disease, is a result of the fall. Mental illness, like other forms of sickness and disease, is a result of the fall. In the beginning, God created, and it was good. Each act of creation in the Genesis account begins with the words, and God said, and it ends with the words, and God saw. God saw that it was good, and His blessing fell upon the created order. God made human beings in His own image, which distinguishes the human race From every other part of creation, God blessed the man and the woman, and behold, we're told, it was very, very good. But within just two chapters, by Genesis 3, it all went terribly wrong. Though they enjoyed perfect communion with God and with one another, and though God had provided for their every need, the man and the woman defied him and chose their own way, which is the essence of sin. In that moment, sin entered the world and has marred and scarred everything and everyone in its path. It broke relationship with God. It breaks relationship on the human level. And it has broken us. We are fallen people living in a fallen world. At present, things just don't work like they did in the beginning, including our bodies. The doctrine of total depravity doesn't mean that every person is completely wicked and incapable of doing good. That would be utter depravity. What total depravity does mean is that every part of us, body, soul, spirit, is affected by sin. It means that your whole self suffers from sin's curse. Your whole person no longer functions as God originally intended because Sin has a destructive nature like rust that, that, that corrodes and consumes us. Why do we get colds and headaches and infections? Why do we have heart problems and glaucoma? Why is cancer and HIV AIDS and diabetes and Alzheimer's part of the human experience? It's because we inhabit bodies that have been ravaged by the effects of sin. The Bible speaks to this in Romans chapter 8, for example, when it says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for the redemption of Our bodies. Our bodies. 
In other words, in His grace and love, God has ordained a day when we will receive new and perfect bodies, but until then, we groan because our outer selves, as the bodies are called in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, our outer selves are wasting away. If we therefore believe that sin has affected every part of the body, including the brain, then it shouldn't surprise us when our brains don't work as they should or as we wish they would. If we're not surprised when we get a common cold, why should we be surprised when our minds struggle with bouts of unwellness too? Like other forms of sickness and disease, mental illness is not aberrant. It's not unexpected. It's not atypical. It is part, it is human. And it is part of the human experience that is presently marked by sin. So, those who struggle with issues related to mental health aren't different than those who struggle with issues related to physical health. Mental health is not a made-up construct of rogue psychiatry. Please hear this. It is part and parcel to living in 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 a broken, fallen world. Number two. Mental illness is not caused by a lack of faith. It's not about a lack of faith. Now true, the Bible does talk about faith and even the prayer of faith and the role that faith can play in a person's well-being. But when it speaks about faith in this way, it's not saying, it's not saying that if we just believe more, we'd be healed. As if there's a certain specified amount of faith we must accrue before God is compelled to move on our behalf. But if it's up to me to compel God, then my trust, it's not really in God. It's in my ability to persuade Him. And if that's the case, what I'm doing in those moments is I'm depending on me when what the Bible urges is more dependence on Him more trust in His ability. And if He chooses to not heal, as in the case of Paul's thorn, for instance, I must trust that He has grace for me in my affliction, not in spite of it. I want you to remember the story of the man in Mark 5 who was cutting himself. And he's running around naked, Night and day. He's crying out. And he's causing a scene. No one could help this man. Mentally, physically, spiritually, he was unwell. No one could help but Jesus. And after Jesus healed him and restored him... I noticed this for the first time this week when I read, reread that passage. It says, Jesus healed him and restored him to his right mind. Jesus then said to him, 
Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. It wasn't about the man, man's faith at all notice. It was about God's mercy. For some reason, though, people who struggle with mental health issues like depression or anxiety or eating disorders or thoughts of suicide are often made to feel like their faith is weaker than everyone else's. If they just believed more, if they only clung more tightly to God's promises, if they focused more on His blessing, if they just harnessed the power of positive thinking, we assume that if they simply did these things, they'd automatically get better. But we must be careful, church, with this line of thinking because this perception that merely more faith is the answer can be condemning and shame-inducing to the individual who's suffering, and it is dangerously close to heresy. I mean, it is right on the line. My wife and I were talking about this earlier this week. When she was 12 years old, she was diagnosed with scoliosis. And thankfully, it was discovered early enough, and she was young enough that there were corrective measures Sorry, I'm just so proud of you. There were corrective measures available that would have straightened her back and prevented further complication. But the church her family attended at the time believed that all that was needed was more faith. Her dad needed more faith. Her mom needed more faith. Her sister and her brother needed more faith, and she needed more faith. They just needed to pray with more faith, and she'd be healed. Because they were young in the Lord and trusted the people of this church, they did this for two years. For two years, they struggled for more faith while being constantly brought in front of the church repeatedly for prayer and healing. It was even suggested that perhaps there is some hidden sin in their lives and if they'd only confess and come clean because that's what's holding back God's healing hand. Meanwhile, the scoliosis was getting worse. Until finally Sally's mom had had enough and took her to the doctor, but by that time it was too late. It had reached a point where it couldn't be reversed. They could only try to stop further regression. She's had multiple back surgeries. She's lost nearly all flexibility in her spine. All because people in the church said she just needed more faith. And dear East Parkway, I hope that bothers you. I hope that that leaves you aghast. 
And if we are aghast by such counsel when it concerns physical infirmity, why do we counsel others in the same way when they're struggling with mental and emotional infirmity? Dr. Matthew Stafford, Stanford, I'm sorry, Dr. Matthew Stanford has written a book on this issue titled Grace for the Afflicted, a Clinical and Biblical Perspective on Mental Illness. He says a dangerous and damaging battle, a battle between faith and psychiatry is being waged daily in churches throughout the world and church lives are being destroyed. But mental illness is not a spiritual condition only that only affects people of faith. It's a bodily condition, whether physiological or psychological or both, that affects believers and unbelievers alike. Therefore, mustering more faith isn't the cure-all. Number three. Mental illness is sometimes helped with medication, and that's okay. To be honest, I am not a big medication person when it comes to me personally. I try not to take medicine unless I absolutely have to. If I get a headache or a cold or a sore back, I just, I just try to just suffer through it. Not because I think I'm a tough guy, but because I'm stubborn and sometimes I refuse to see the obvious. I see some heads nodding as if you can relate. However, my stubbornness notwithstanding, I do take medicine on occasion. In preparation for Africa, for instance, my daughters and I needed certain immunizations to help protect us from certain diseases that are more prevalent there than here. When we leave this week, we'll be taking pills every day to help prevent malaria. Now, no one has forced this on us. I suppose we could decline this treatment. But if I come back with malaria, that's not God's fault. That's not Africa's fault. That's not my, my doctor's fault. It's because I refused the help that was available. Similarly, good mental health requires help and preventative maintenance, and sometimes that help comes in the form of medication, and that's okay. Just like a person with high blood pressure may take pills to prevent a heart attack. In John 9, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. But he does so in an odd way, very odd way, very strange. He spit on the ground. He makes mud with his saliva. He anoints the man's eyes with mud, then tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. 
now I'm sure you'll agree that Jesus could have healed this man in any number of ways. He could have snapped his fingers. He could have blinked his eyes. He could have touched the man's eyes. He could have just said, be healed. But he chose to use saliva and send him to the pool of Siloam. Why? Could it be because the medical professionals at that time believed that saliva had healing attributes, which we now know to be true, and that water from certain pools was thought to help restore the body. In a way then, ever so subtly, could it be that Jesus was giving a nod toward the accepted medical practice? A recent online, uh, online article posted on Desiring God, uh, the Desiring God website just last month, it talks about Christian depression and the use of medication. The author of this article, Catherine Butler is her name. She advocates for a comprehensive approach. When it comes to clinical depression, she uh, proposes, when it comes to clinical depression, okay, this is what we would consider one of the SMI. When it comes to clinical depression, she proposes an approach that blends counseling, spiritual practices, and the wise use of antidepressants. She freely admits that medications and psychotherapy are imperfect solutions and that our ultimate source of hope is Christ. But in many cases, she says, medication and counseling is what helps a person get to a place where he or she can proactively reclaim their identity in Christ and begin to grow in him. She therefore concludes with these words. Christians should feel empowered to consider medical treatments whether antidepressants or otherwise, to consider them as blessings given by God as evidence of His mercy. If you came to me and you said, you shared with me that you've been suffering from from just terrible plantar fasciitis, or irritable bowel syndrome, or shortness of breath. You just can't catch your breath. You're always short of breath. At some point in that conversation, I'd ask whether you'd seen a doctor and is there anything they can do for you? In the same way, if you're suffering from clinical depression or, or panic attacks or thoughts of suicide, and you come to me, at some point in our conversation, I'm going to ask whether you've seen a doctor, and is there anything they can do for you? Because mental health illness, mental illness is sometimes helped with medication. 
and that's entirely okay. Now, having considered a few principles that relate to this issue, what are some ways we can help those who struggle with mental illness, or what are some ways we can find help in our own struggle? So I've got three. I, I had three principles. Um, mental illness, like other forms of sickness and disease, is a result of the fall. Uh, mental illness isn't caused by a lack of faith. And mental illness can sometimes be helped with medication, and that's okay. I've got three suggestions on how to help that are each related to those three principles. Here's the first suggestion. Avoid common misconceptions about mental health. What I almost put down there was help to destigmatize the issue. Uh, Hayden Hurst, a man named Hayden Hurst, is a tight end for the Baltimore Ravens. He was a first round pick last year. He is a professional football player in the National Football League. And for years, he kept his mental illness a secret because he felt less than or weak because of it. Uh, But like trying to cork a pressurized bottle, eventually he couldn't stuff it anymore. He had a breakdown and got the help he needed, and now he uses his platform as a professional athlete to advocate for those who are suffering with similar issues. In an interview uh, with ESPN, he said, you know, I'm supposed to be this rough, tough football player, but now I can say, hey, I have these issues. I went through this. And And if someone else can see that, they can relate to it. Now, I don't think it's a weakness at all. If I'm going to be the one who comes out and breaks that stigma, let's do it. Often, you know, the first step toward better mental health is overcoming the stigma that it's somehow a sign of weakness or that that person, the person with mental illness, is crazy or loony or off their rocker. Each year now, the month of May is is dedicated as Mental Health Awareness Month. And I think this is a good thing. Raising awareness is often the first step toward change, and I believe God would have the church leading the way in the change. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known and brought out into the light. Therefore, because mental illness is a result of the fall, a reminder that we're broken people living in a broken world, let's... Avoid common misconception and work to destigmatize the issue so as to bring it out into the light of God's redemptive purposes. Amen? Amen. Number two, bear one another's burdens. Catch this. All of them. In preparing for this message, I was struck by the fact that we will share prayer request after prayer request 
for our physical ailments. If someone's going in, uh, in the hospital, if someone's uh, preparing for surgery, if someone just has general aches and pains, it is, it is not at all uncommon to share, to put our requests for help and our requests for prayer, to put it out before the church. That's a good thing. But it dawned on me, and I know this is risky, and I know this will take time, and I certainly do not want anyone to feel forced. But it dawned on me that I look forward to the time when we allow people into those personal spaces that address how we're thinking and how we're feeling, and not only how we're doing physically. When we are feeling mentally or emotionally unwell, saying it's going to be okay doesn't really help. Saying God has a plan and he's working all things for good doesn't really help. Saying, you know, it could be worse certainly doesn't help. Now, each of those things, each of those statements are true. But if you've ever been in the midst of deep physical, emotional, or, or mental sickness, what helps the most is knowing that you're not alone. And that someone is willing to be there for you to lean on. Talk with other believers you know and trust. Keep one another's trust, please. Talk, develop trust, and then keep each other's trust. Open yourself to the grace that God will bring to you through the friendship of another person. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, though mental illness is not caused by a lack of faith, the community of faith can certainly help. And then number three. Invite Jesus into your illness. Invite Jesus into your illness. This brings us back to the passage in Philippians 4 that I read at the start. In that passage, we're told to let our requests be made known to God. This means to let Him in. Right? We're going to let. We're going to let our requests. We're not going to hold them back anymore. We're not going to hide behind them anymore. We're going to stuff them anymore. We're going to let those things be known. We're going to let them be known to God. We're going to let Him in. We're going to let Him know what's going on. Uh, we're going to let Him know what's on our mind. We're going to let Him know how we're feeling. We're going to share with Him what's really going on inside. The Psalms, of course, are just perfect examples of this. 
Because the psalmists are so free. Don't you love this about the psalms? The psalmists are so free to express their anger, to express their joy, to express their confusion, to express their sadness, to express their frustration, to express their depression. A whole host of thought and emotion. The Bible says, cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Sometimes, without any warning, I feel a gripping in my chest as this sense of being overwhelmed descends upon my consciousness. I would be the, the AMI group. Sally and I have known this for years. There's really no rhyme or reason to it. It just happens. I've tried to identify triggers. I can't find a pattern. In those moments, in those moments, I battle thoughts of inadequacy. I'm just not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not productive enough. And this fear of always coming up short can last a week or a day or a couple of hours or just a fleeting moment. And I'm learning, and my wife has been so good for me in this area, I'm learning to let God in. To cast those cares upon Him. To not have to pray perfect prayers. To not have to live or try to live under this perceived standard of perfection. I'm learning to cast those cares on God, not because I want to dismiss them or avoid them, but because I'm learning that He isn't put off by them. He's not ashamed of me because of them. In fact, He's willing to enter them, which is why He invites us to cast them upon Him. Mental illness is sometimes helped with medication, and that's okay. But the only source of true and lasting hope is God. When all is said and done, the key to living a contented, satisfying, and ultimately victorious life is learning to trust, learning to trust and love God as God in a way that just compels you to persevere and carry on. In a way that says... It's not going to be, it, it, may not, it may not get better. It may not get right now. It may, it, it, that day is coming, but that day is not now. And I'm learning to have to trust and persevere that that's okay. Yeah. 
doing this, casting these cares, doesn't guarantee healing from your illness. It just invites God into it. And therefore, it opens the door to steadfast love and all-surpassing peace. So, because misconceptions are common, let's bring our issues into the light of God's grace. Because the community of faith is a means of grace, let's bear one another's burdens. Because God wants to free you from all anxiety, let's invite Him into our lives and into our various illnesses. The battle for mental health is very real, but there is hope in God and in His many means of grace. Amen. God, I thank You. We thank You for this time. I can look out into the faces of these, my dear brothers and sisters, and I can tell that you have been ministering to us. Thank you. Help us, God, to be, help us to grow in this area. Help us to be, uh, to work against destigmatizing the issue of mental health. Help us to bear one another's burdens. Help us to invite you into our illnesses, mental or physical or emotional, whatever they are. That we would find hope in your grace and in your many means of grace. To the glory of your name, we pray. Amen.